Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Oh, so I don't get to be, uh, I don't get to be Mr. Matt this week. Uh, some respect on my name. Oh, good, good. Hey, good morning, Takeover Church. How we doing? Man, that was actually, that was actually good. That was, that was a good shout. Um, what an incredible morning we have had in Takeover Church so far. Amen. I mean, worship has just been stellar. Who was blessed by worship today? Come on, somebody. Worship's all about blessing the Lord, but how many of you know when we're blessing the Lord, there's a little extra for us, amen? Like, it is just good to soak in His presence in church. I just want to say real quick that thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here, for prioritizing being found in the house of God, because the reality is you could have been found anywhere else this morning. You could have been found in your bed. You could have been found at home. You could have been found out at Real Food Cafe. You could have been found anywhere else. But how many of you know, anywhere else, not all things are possible with God. Amen. Come on, somebody. There is a word that says two or more gather in my name. There I am in the midst of them. And how many of you know the presence of Jesus is the power of Jesus? Because the presence of Jesus is the person of Jesus. Amen. So not all things are possible in your bed. Not all things are possible at a real food cafe, as delicious as it may be. But all things are possible when we gather in unity and harmony underneath the one name that can actually change anything. Amen. And his name is Jesus. Hey, this morning, uh, before we dig into the scriptures and the message and all that good stuff, has anybody, um, real quick, uh, during worship, my hip started to hurt, my right hip. Has anybody got a right hip problem today? Would you be bold enough just to raise your hand? We got a right hip problem right there. Any other hip, hip problems in the house? Hip problem right there. It's all good. Little or small. God loves the heel. Fantastic. Um, put your hands up one more time. Hip problems. Dude, awesome. Let's go. Father God, right now, we just thank you so much for this morning, God, that you are alive and active, that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it's able to pierce between bone and marrow, God. And right now, we just speak to these hips. Right now, we say the Lord Jesus heals you. The Lord Jesus heals you because you are Lord. What has to come and what has to go, what has to be welcomed in and has to leave right now is only by your allowance. So right now, God, we just lift up Sozo. We lift up what you've paid for on the cross of Jesus and we speak to these hips, right or left, right now. They bow, they heal, they can be mended underneath the mighty weight of the name, Lord Jesus. And a faithful church said, Amen. Amen. Yo. Let me know, yeah, let me know by the end of service if you're at least 80% healed, and then we'll hit you with a double tap in the back with, uh, with Zach and everybody, but um, what's rule number two? Double tap, okay? We all know that. Don't act like you haven't been in church that long, okay? We took the Zombieland playbook, and we applied it to Jesus, um, but this morning, we are continuing our series, Live No Lie. We just turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't you live no lie. Don't you live no lie. Turn to your second choice neighbor. And just ask them because you apparently like them less what lies you've been living. Ooh, put your second choice on notice. Goodness, rent's due. Here you go. And this morning, if you're taking notes, like my beautiful wife, Adrienne, said earlier, Scott's laughing at my rent's due reference. Anyways, if you're taking notes, tell them my message this morning is, are you ready? A new people. A new people. A new people. And we're coming out of the book of Galatians this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians 6, 7 through 18. I'm coming out of the NLT with a little MLT in there, Matt Lippy translation. You know how it is. Um, but if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the Sky Bible. Uh, and you can actually read it this week, which is fantastic. Uh, so, yeah. Hey, also, give it up for uh, who, who we got back there. We got Steffi and Mikey in the booth this morning. Give it up for them. Come on. Holding it down. Oh, my gosh. Fantastic. Galatians 6, 7 through 18. You ready for the word of God? All right. Hot and fresh out the kitchen. The apostle Paul says this. Don't be misled. How many of you know I could preach a 16-week series on those words alone? Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. No, but we can try and put human justice in front of it. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. 
So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we do not give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Uh, that, that sentence throws me off every time. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Come on, somebody. Man, I don't even know we need to keep going. That's such a good word. But we're going to pray and we're going to dig into the Lord's assignment for this morning. Sound good? Fantastic. Father God, right now. Right now, we just hand this over to you. Right now, Father God, we hand over this service. We hand over this room. We hand over our minds, our hearts, our bodies, our souls. We hand over our, our illness. We hand over our troubles. We hand over our depression. We hand over the things that are preoccupying and fighting for space in our minds right now, God. God, right now, in a time with so much going on and so much trying to preoccupy and take up take up space within us, whether it's our heart or in our mind or weighing down our soul. God, right now, we say, Father, this is your home. Come and put your feet up. Come and do work in your people, God. Come back home. Right here, your people are waiting for you, God, and we want to leave here today. Not with a taste. Not with a tease but we want to leave with the fullness, with the richness, with the overflowing presence, tangible presence of God all over us, Father God. God, we don't want just a taste of you. We want every part of you. We want so much of you today, God, that we are willing to be a crazy people in Grand Rapids that will stand here and we will worship on a Wednesday night and we will worship on a Sunday morning and we will ask you, Lord, come and move in your people's shadows again. Father, we didn't come here to play church today. We didn't come here for a religious checkbox. We came here to firmly establish a relationship with you to hear what our Father has to say, to see what our Father says about our lives, to see what our Father says about our world, to see what our Father has to say about His plans and His purposes that go beyond my own. Father, we love You so much, and we ask that You would do what only You can do in this service, and that is radically change lives, not just for a moment and not just for a season, but for eternity. In Jesus' my name, a faithful church said, amen. A new people, a new people, a new people, a new people, and guess what? You're right, a new people, a new people. What a concept, right? What a concept, what an idea, what a statement, a new people. I think we hear this phrase I think we can often hear these words. I think we can often think about this. We hear me scream it in a microphone long enough. You just hear it and you go, you know what? Is that true? Is that real? Because I think if some of us were honest this morning, I think if we were bold enough this morning, in fact, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Is there anybody in this room, whether it's today 
whether it's a previous season, whether it's the month that you're having right now, does anybody in this room, maybe you're having trouble believing that you're new? Anybody's past creep up and you just go, how can I be new? Yeah, thank you for being honest this morning. Put your hands back down. This message is for you. How can I be new? How can you make me new? A new person. You know what I've done. You know where I've been. You know what's stuck on me. Tristan, it's so good to see you, man. A new people. I think we often, we hear this phrase, I'm a new creation in Christ. You're a new person. He's made you new. I think we hear this and it becomes Christian cliche to us. It becomes this thing where it's like, I don't feel new. And I don't look new. And I understand how this newness thing works because I'm waking up with the same head full of aches and heart full of pain. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? A new people. Friends, I think so often we believe the lie that we're not new or that we can't be new. I don't think it's so much so that we don't believe in renewal at all. I think the lie that we've believed is that we don't believe renewal for us. Oh, no, you could renew them, for sure. Oh, you could renew them. They're a pastor, for sure. Oh, they're called. They're the head, not the tail. I mean, the Lord's hand is clearly all over their lives. Of course you can renew them, but you can't renew me. You can't renew what I did Saturday night. You can't renew how I spoke to my wife. You can't renew what happened to me as a child. You can't renew that. And suddenly... We will hear these words and they will fall on deaf ears. They will be seeds that are supposed to be going into good, fertile soil, ready to sprout out and bless us and change us and completely reshape us for the purpose of God in the earth. Instead, it finds itself falling on thorns because we've believed renewal isn't for us. And then because renewal is not for us, suddenly we start to believe that maybe revival is not for us. Maybe revival's not for this day. Maybe God can't revive this. Maybe God can't revive a city. Maybe God can't revive my marriage. Maybe God can't revive this. And we get lost in this idea of renewal. But friends, a word for you this morning is this. Are you ready? You have been renewed to revive. You've been renewed to revive revive. Friends, I've got a wake-up call for so many of us today, okay? We are not here by accident. We are not here by happenstance, and you are not you by accident. God has planned you. He has purposed you. He has formed you. He knows the hairs on your head, and I know this is going to sound like every preaching message from every conference you've ever watched on YouTube or you've ever been to. I get that this morning, but I got one cause this morning, and it's that a battalion, a militant of Christians, the bride of Christ, would understand and they would leave this house today not believing the lie that you can't be made new but walking in and living the truth that you already are new you already are new so often what happens is since we believe the lie that it can't possibly happen for me specifically We will live lives where a doorway will present itself or a threshold will present itself and you know it looks appetizing and it looks nice and it looks clean and it looks like there's a lot of fun going on in there and it looks like I'm missing out on a lot from being out here and well because I'm not really new I'm trying to live for Jesus I'm trying to go to church I'm trying to live what the word of God says but because somewhere deep inside of us we've bought the lie because someone sold it to us that we can't possibly be new. We will continue to pass through thresholds and doorways that have nothing in it for us except for pain, consequences, bitterness, and loneliness. This is what happens when we believe this lie. You see, friends, the word that you came for church today, it's not a new word. The word that you came to church today that your heart needs to hear, that your spirit needs to hear, that your soul needs to hear, that your mind needs to hear, it's not a fresh word. 
the word that you came to church, that the word that the church at large right now needs, the word that your marriage needs, the word that your future needs, the word that your heart needs, that your doubts need, that your depression needs, that suicide needs, that whatever plagues you this morning, whatever's holding you back in this season of life, whatever has been like a cloud covering you and raining down on you from day one, whatever it is in your life that plagues you right now, the word that you need, it's not a new word. In fact, it's a 2,000 year old word. You're a new people. You are new. You don't need a fresh word. You need an antiquated word. You don't need a fresh word. You need an antique of a word. You don't need a new word. You need an old word but never expires kind of word. And you are a new people. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, he's writing to Galatians. And if you know anything about Galatia at the time, this is Asia Minor. Asia Minor is kind of a wild place because it's a bit of a melting pot. He's writing to Galatians, and in this area, you're going to have both Asians. You're going to have Greek and Romans. You're going to have some Celtic people. And I can tell you, as a Celtic person myself, can't tell me nothing, right? Like, not today. I, I, I know better, okay? Because I am a stubborn, stiff-necked redhead, okay? I am a donkey to the nth degree, friends. You cannot move me unless your name is Jesus or Adrienne, okay? Like... For real, okay? So what I can tell you is that when Paul is writing to Galatians, he is writing to a group of people that are coming from different Asian religions. They're coming from the Roman Empire. And you know Rome. Rome is a buck wild, fam, okay? They are they're nasty. They're some nasty people, okay? They, they is. That's okay. We can say it. I think we can acknowledge it. The world looks a lot like it today. Anyways, and then you got the Celtics. We're a bunch of stiff-necked redheads wearing skirts, okay, so that we can conveniently poop while in battle. Like, I mean, this is the people. This is his audience. This is wild, right? Oh, you didn't know what a kilt was for? Okay. Are you serious? Come on, somebody. You just thought it was ceremonial? No, that was practical. You're welcome. All right? Ladies are like, I want to look good for church. How's my skirt? It's like, well, it's not, you know, it's fashionable, practical. What you trying to do today? Anyways. There's no, there's every man in here is now going to look at a woman in church and be like, you think she went outside? <laughs> I love our church. Praise God. Praise God. So this is, this is Paul's audience. This is Paul's audience right now. He is writing to them and he is trying to convince these people, stiff neck, stuck in the mud, redheaded stepchildren, okay? Talking to Roman empires, people who have literally left Rome and have, have, have gone out on their own, people who were raised up underneath Caesars and how everything rises and falls on Caesars, whim and wishes. And then you got Asia, and if you know anything about Asia, Asia, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, pigeonhole it by saying it's had like the same core beliefs this entire time. What I'm saying is as crazy um, efficient, perhaps, uh, as you think they are today in those countries with how everything's so like hunkered down and nailed down and like tight, Okay, it's been like that forever. This is not a new practice of theirs. They have always had rules and religions like this. But this is Paul's audience. And do you know how Paul starts this off? Do not be misled. Do not be misled. And why that's important is because Paul, if you don't know, Paul used to not have a P. He used to have an S in front of his name, and his name was Saul. Okay? Saul, if I could get you up to speed real quick, we're not going to do the whole history. Saul hated Jesus. Full on. Saul hated Jesus. He wanted to murder Jesus. He wanted to murder Jesus' followers. And he wanted to tear down everything that Jesus stood for. And then all of a sudden, Saul has a radical encounter with Jesus. He gets knocked straight off his donkey. Straight off his horse. Has a radical encounter with Jesus. Saul meets Jesus and he gets up Paul. And so suddenly... Saul, who wanted to murder Jesus, Paul wants to worship Jesus. Saul, who wanted to kill Christians, Paul wants to build Christians. Saul, who wanted to tear down everything that Jesus lived to establish the kingdom of earth here and now, Paul now lives to build the kingdom of heaven here and now. This is what it looks like to be a new people. 
this is the image of what a resurrection looks like when your name isn't Jesus, but it's anything else. Saul to Paul. And so when Paul starts off to all these Galatians, these different people, got the Romans and the Greeks and the Asians and the redheads, you got all these guys. And Paul starts off and he goes, don't be misled. Don't be misled. This is paramount to Christianity then and Christianity now, okay? The only difference is we didn't have social media to broadcast everything, okay? The world actually isn't any dirtier, isn't actually more messed up, isn't actually any more defiled, okay? We didn't get worse overnight. We just got more exposed. It just is. The world got smaller because of the internet and because of railways and because of all of these other historical things that have happened since. And so now we know everything. And Paul is writing to the same exact people with the same exact struggles, with the same exact shortcomings as you and I have today. And he says, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Friends, that's a word for a new people because so many new people, new creations, we are being misled. You would think that would be stocked, right? You think that would come with just like, you know, stocked with the brand new car smell, that this is an idea that like, yeah, we shouldn't be misled. We're Christians. We're people of the truth. Problem is, we live in a time and a place where truth is a mixed bag. We live in a time and a place where figuring out truth is quite difficult. We live in a time and a place where sifting through truth is incredibly difficult to do. And you want to know why that is? It's not because of CNN. It's not because of Fox News. It's not because of Twitter. It's not even because of Instagram. It's not because of the president. It's not because of anybody. Do you want to know why we have a hard time sifting through truth? Is we think truth, we think truth is a great one-liner. We think truth is a great news article. We think truth is a nice little fortune cookie. We think truth is even Jesus' best bars. That's what we think truth is. We think truth is a speech. We think truth is words. We think truths are someone's retelling of events. We think that is truth. But friends, the reason you and I are having such a hard time determining what truth is is because we are trying to listen and look out for words and motivations when truth is not word and truth is not motivation. Truth is a person and his name is Jesus. Don't be misled because so often we will live in a time and place where it's like, yo, yeah, we like Jesus. The world will tell you they love Jesus. The world loves Jesus. They love the idea of Jesus. They just don't want Jesus to be Lord. You see, the world really loves to say, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor like Jesus. Love your neighbor like Jesus. But they don't like the part of Jesus where he says, yeah, you must lose your life to find it. Oh, no, we love it. Yeah, he's take care of the widows and the poor and the homeless. As long as you're over there, that's fine. Yeah, but what about dying to yourself and crucifying your flesh daily? You see, the world will love Jesus when it's convenient. The Lord will forsake, the world will forsake Jesus when he's truth. You see, friends, Jesus himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And I'm the life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. So why is it so important for some Galatians and some people in Grand Rapids, Michigan in 2021 to understand this? It is because we live in a time and place where truth has been muddied, but truth can never be muddied when you know what truth really is and what truth actually looks like. Because truth isn't a speech. It's not words. It's a person, and his name is Jesus, and my preaching to anybody this morning, do not be misled. Friends, don't be misled. Don't be misled into all these other things and all these other voices and all these other sounds that you are hearing that are bogging you down over the last two years. I know it's been further than that. I'm just, I'm zooming in in as much as we can because it's been nuts for a hot second, okay? We've all been stuck inside. We've all been away from people. We've all been bowing to all these other things. And like, it's this crazy last two years that we have and we can look at it and go, what has God revealed about the church today? that we need to either throw out or we need to grow up in, amen? We can very clearly look at those things. And so when Paul says, don't be misled, 
man, my heart just aches for truth. Because here's the deal, so many of us, we will live our lives going, I was just born into chaos. I was born into chaos. I was born into this world where, where there's no real roadmap. I got my feelings and, I, and, I've got, and I've gotten like what society is saying and my parents didn't raise me in church. And like, I got all these different things that are vying for like my directional compass in life and how I live and how I go about my business and what I do with myself. And here I am, I am living my life and I'm just born into chaos and I don't know how to control myself. I don't know about my actions. I don't know how to control my thought life. And all of these things are happening on the inside of us. And somewhere along the way as humans, we just go, all right, well, I'll follow whoever has the best opinions. I'll follow whoever has the best philosophies. I'll follow whoever makes the most sense. Problem is, Jesus doesn't just make the most sense. He's the truth. Jesus isn't just the best philosopher. Jesus is the truth. Jesus just doesn't, just, doesn't just have the best hot takes. No, no, no. He is the truth. We cannot be misled any other way. We live our lives feeling like we're in chaos with no roadmap to navigate it. We have one. And in fact, he's a person. And his name is Jesus. And where we begin to live lives is when we just address life like this. Well, I just feel like, friends, if how we feel does not line up with how Jesus the truth feels, then by definition, how we feel is a lie. And then the second we hear that, we'll be go, well, I just see it like friends. We just get so argumentative, don't we? Well, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, that's just my feel. But what I meant to say was, I see it like, well, well, friend, if how you see it doesn't line up with how Jesus, the truth, sees it, then how we see it is by definition a lie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get, I get what you're saying, Pastor Matt, but I'm just in a season. Well, well let me speak to that real quick. I, I get that you're in a season, and that's great and all, but if you're seasoned, doesn't line up with what Jesus, the truth, has spoken about in your season, then how you're perceiving and living and walking in your season is by definition a lie. Well, pastor, I'm just like, again, you see, we just go further down this rabbit hole of argumentative because, in fact, we get really offended by Scripture, but the only reason we're offended by Scripture is because we don't want to change the Scripture. The only people offended by the word of God are those who don't want to change to be like the word of God. And so here we are, being misled. Being misled. I just feel like, I see it like, I'm just like, here's my season. You don't understand. You don't really get it. No, I get it. But Jesus is just better than it. Jesus is just truer than it. Jesus is just more than it. He is mightier than it. He is greater than it. Nothing looms taller than Jesus. Friends, if you have lived in the last two years and seen the world starting to head towards hell in a handbasket, and you felt like Babylon has risen again, friends, Babylon has never been higher than Jesus. There is no tower of man no plot of the enemy, no devil in hell that has a higher shadow, a higher reach than Lord Jesus. Because there is one throne that is firmly above every other throne, above every other kingdom, and he is the truth. Amen. I know this went hard for a second, but can we take another turn? Is that all right? So what do we do with that? Don't be misled, you new people. You knew people. And then I love this. I love this because Paul goes straight for the gizzard. Okay, he does. I love it. He just goes straight for the throat. And he says, do not be misled. God will not be mocked. Shoot. Okay. Where are you going with this? God will not be mocked. For how you plant, you will harvest. You will harvest what you plant. You will reap what you sow. Do not be misled. God will not be mocked pause. God will not be mocked, right? You see, here's the deal. We live in a time and a place in a world where we will recognize this principle. 
in life, right? We will go, oh, you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to harvest what you plant. You know, what goes around comes around. Karma! And we will say these phrases but not understand that this is an actual celestial law that God set up long before Jesus. When he spoke the formation into existence, when he hung the stars, when he created everything, okay? It's all been about harvesting what is planted. So much so, even before Jesus, even before the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh and to all people made available to all of us, even before this happened, David was writing that life and death are in the power of the tongues, and those who use it will reap of its fruit. You see, this idea of harvesting what you plant it's not just an idea, it's not just a concept. It is the divine reality of which you and I live in. And Paul puts us all on notice as new people. God will not be mocked. As a man sows, so shall he reap. You will reap what you have planted. You will harvest what you have sown. Friends, I love this because so often in this life, so often as Jesus followers, we will be living a life going, I'm new. I am a new man. I'm a new woman. I am a new person. And we forget about this. We will proclaim this. We will say this. When we forget about this scripture, we'll go, I'm a new man. I'm a new woman. And yet then I will be sowing the old man and the old woman and still expecting a fruitful harvest of God. Let me do the math here. So a man reaps, so shall he, or so a man sows, so shall he reap, so a man plants, so shall he harvest. And so I'm trying to sow in, I'm trying to live in as a new person, as a new people, as a new creation. But so often I'll believe the lie that I can reach back into my old man bag and my old woman bag and my old ways bag. And all of a sudden I begin to plant seeds that are outside of God, but then I expect a harvest that is within God. Friends, it's entirely possible to be a new people and plant old seeds. But those old seeds, those old seeds are outside of God. And when you begin to plant outside of God, don't be surprised when you reap a harvest that isn't of God. So often we will live this life and we hear these things and we totally let this go in one year and out the other because we don't like when responsibility is actually placed on us. We don't like when this happens. And Paul is saying, don't be misled. God will not be mocked. So a man sows, so shall he reap. What you plant, you will harvest. And we are so misled by the lies that that doesn't apply to us. Because we're a very special newborn person. No. God will be experienced in your harvest. But will he be experienced by his absence or by his presence? Don't be, don't be misled. God cannot be mocked. He will have his way. He will be known in your harvest, but will he be known by his absence or by his presence? Is anybody picking up what I am laying down? Don't be misled. So often we, we get to this next portion of scripture where he says, oh man, where he says, if a man sows in the flesh, he will reap in the flesh. And friends, when we, we are sowing in the flesh, it is entirely possible. Again, he's writing to Christians. This isn't to people who don't know Jesus. This is to a church. This isn't to people who, he's not evangelizing here. This isn't a bunch of people who are just out there wandering around going, we don't know what to do with ourselves. No, no, he's writing to Christians. That's the context here. Context is king. Because if you understand that he's writing to Christians, you understand this word applies directly to you and directly to me. And he says, no, 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 no. God will not be mocked. You will harvest what you plant. If you sow in the flesh, you best prepare for a harvest of the flesh. And that is bad news, my friends. It is entirely possible. So often we live a life, we go, I'm a new person, but why am I not free? If I'm so new, 
why am I still so chained? If I'm not still in bondage, if I'm not still the old man, if I'm supposed to be quote-unquote new, then why do I feel as locked up and chained up as I have ever felt in my life? Well, I would ask you, Are you walking in truth by name alone, or are you living in truth by Jesus alone? Are you walking in truth by saying and proclaiming, no, 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 I am new, I'm a Jesus follower, I'm a Christian. Well, you can be a Christian and have a bunch of chains. Or you can live as a Jesus follower and experience real freedom and, and clarity. You see, Paul's writing this to Christians, and you can sow in the flesh and you will reap the flesh. So, why am I not free? Because you're living a life proclaiming that you are a new person while sowing in old seeds. Friends, you're not new in name alone. You're new in Christ alone. Why, why, why does my marriage still look this way? Why is my marriage still crap? If I'm a new person, if she's a new person, if we're new people, why does our marriage still suck? Well, are you a new couple, a new person in name alone while sowing in seeds of your old marriage? Sowing in seeds of old women? Sowing in seeds of old men? Sowing in seeds of old memories, of old feelings, of old fallen ideas of what marriage should be? Or what are you sowing into? Because if you sow seeds that are outside of God, you will reap a harvest that is absence of God while still being a Jesus follower. This is it. Paul says, don't be misled. God won't be mocked. He is a man of his word, not that he shall lie, because he is the truth. He is incapable of lying to you. If you sow in the flesh, you will then reap the flesh. And yet we're caught off guard by this, aren't we? All of a sudden we're like angry at God. Like, where are you? Everything sucks. It's falling apart. Why have you forsaken me? I feel like I'm alone here. But we, we enacted the name of Jesus in our lives. But then we sold the seeds of old Matt in our lives. And then we blame and shake our fists at God for the outcome. Friends, he's going to be felt in the harvest one way or the other. And it's either his absence or his presence. The good news is this. <laughs> the good news is this. Those who sow in the Spirit will reap in the Spirit. Those who plant in the Spirit will harvest in the Spirit. Pause. Where we go wrong here is we believe in this scripture, in this life, in Jesus. We hear phrases like that, sow in the Spirit, reap in the Spirit, plant in the Spirit, harvest in the Spirit. We hear that, and suddenly we think that the supernatural parts of our Christianity are enough. They're not. Matt, you're going to need to explain that to me. I will, really quick. You want to know how I know that it's not enough? Because fasting doesn't do jack for you except for go without calories if you're not praying when you should be eating. Right? I mean, right? Like, we, we, we want to get spiritual with it. And I'm just like, I'm going to go soak in the Lord in worship. That's great, and I love that. Me and my wife, we just need to get to church. That'll fix everything. That's great, and I love that. But the Spirit... Okay, friends, if we're not also taking actionable decisions, purposing our lives, doing things that also in the natural help along what we're attempting to do in the spiritual, friends, the spirit will fall flat on its face. Because when Paul says this, he's not, he understands that. He's not speaking to 
Christians of 2021 who are cultural Christians who just have it on their Facebook but don't actually walk it out. Like, he's talking to people who at this time, like, there's not been a ruler in Rome yet, okay, that was a Christian. You still get killed for this at this time. He is speaking to people who will die for their faith. And he is saying to you, don't be misled, don't be mocked, don't sow in the flesh, sow in the spirit. Why? Because the natural can't move the spirit by itself, but the spirit can move both the spiritual and the natural. Why do you think it's not enough simply to come to church, but become, come, let's put it this way. Why do you think it's not enough to actually just come to church, but you have to become the church? Why do you think you can't just come here and have it change you? Instead, you have to do the hard work outside of here to prepare yourself to receive here. You got to stir yourself up in prayer. You got to stir yourself up in worship. You got to stir yourself up. You got to start just getting up in that soil and going, I need to be good when I get to church so I can receive the fullness of what God has for me. Problem is, we haven't preached messages like this in a long time. We're out here living lie by negligence instead of living truth purposely. Why do you think you go to, you go to boys crew, you go to life crew, and you feel like it's a waste of time. Did you go to Life Crew going, I'm gonna receive something tonight? I'm coming in desperate for my word tonight. This is for me tonight. I am here tonight. I need to receive tonight. How do you, you get what I'm saying? Man, but likewise, flip side, it's not enough just to pray for your marriage. You gotta actively sow good seeds into your marriage. Flip side, guess what? It's not. The Lord wants me to say something. I'm gonna put it on him. Friends, the biggest lie that's plaguing the church right now is it's enough that my pastor believes this. It's enough that my pastor believes this. That's good, he can stand up there for 15 minutes and scream his face off and he can be passionate about it and he can bleed for this and this can fill him and he can be the prime motivator and that's awesome. And you know what, I can sit here and I can receive and I can be filled up and then you know what, I can leave in the church doors what I want to and I can take with me out the church doors what I like. Problem is, You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Supernatural change won't come in your life on my faith alone. I can't believe this enough for you. You reap, not what your pastor sows. This is the extent of you reaping from what your pastors have sown. This. But this, 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 this isn't the results. This isn't the harvest of seeds I've sown. This will be the harvest of seeds that you sow. If you reap in the spirit, if you sow in the spirit, you will reap in the spirit. I love the way Paul puts it. Those that have reaped in the spirit were those that sown in the spirit. And why I think I love that dichotomy of how he said that, instead of him saying, Sowing in the spirit, you'll reap in the spirit. No, no, no. He's not making it basic. He's saying, look at our heroes. Look at the people who have gone before us. Look at those that are champions, which again, in his day and age, probably meant they got beheaded, okay? Them people are dead. <laughs> and he is saying, those that have reaped in the spirit, it's because they sowed in the spirit. Friends, it's not enough. Listen, 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 listen. Revival, if that's the end goal, which it is, in every area, I don't care if it's yourself, I don't care if it's your self-image, I don't care if it's your marriage, I don't care if it's the city, I don't care what it is. If we are here and desperate for another great awakening, a revival in our world, where everything just comes together around the name of Jesus, including ourselves, revival won't come just because I believe it. Revival will come when you believe it. 
Revival won't come just because I'm moved by the idea of it. Revival will come when you're moved by the idea of it. He says those that sow in the Spirit will reap in the Spirit. See, friends, Paul then goes on to say, there are those that would attempt to get you to believe that Christ alone isn't enough. You see, we, we live in a time and a place where that's being preached to us all day long. There are, there are secular people. There are news sites. There are influencers, whatever that even means. And there are even preachers and pastors, such as myself, that are speaking on their platforms and they are telling you it's not Christ alone anymore. It's this agenda. It's this motivation. It's this people group. It's this idea. All of these things. It's Christ plus this. That's your salvation. That's how you know you're saved. That's how you know God is proud of you. And they start adding all of these things on here. But Paul says pay no attention to those that would try to add on you those that would try to circumcise you, those that would say, you have to circumcise yourself in this way, believe in this way, live in this way, have this kind of lifestyle, present yourself like this, have this kind of image. If you don't believe in this or bow to these people or bow to this idea or live out this way, then you're not really a Christian. You're not really loving your neighbor because you tell them, hey, caution, this bridge is icy and it goes right to hell. We don't, They'll tell you, and they'll try to critique you, and they'll try and take away from our truth, and they'll try to add to our truth. The problem with truth is, is he's a person. He's not an idea. He's not, truth isn't a political agenda. Truth isn't a sex agenda. Truth isn't a church agenda. Truth isn't even Matt's agenda, if I'm being honest. Truth is a kingdom agenda, and his name is Jesus. And you can't add on to Jesus because he's perfect. And you can't take away from Jesus because he's perfect. Do you see where it collapses on itself? And Paul warns, he says, have nothing to do with these people. The problem is, in 2021, we have started sowing in these people and expecting a harvest of kingdom. We have sown in these principles and expected a harvest of kingdom. We have sown in these ideas and we've taken from this agenda and this agenda and we've put it all in the pot and we have done this for two years straight. That's Jesus. No, that's Jesus. That's just man's best attempt and dumb attempts. He says, don't have anything to do with those people. Run from it. Those people, you'll get your five minutes of fame. You'll get your extra followers. They might invite you over for certain things and you might be a part of a really cool social club that has notoriety on your campus or in your workplace. But it's not so that they can point and say, that's what a Jesus follower looks like. It's so they can point and say, that's what my followers look like. Paul says, they just want you to get circumcised. So they don't, they're not pointing to say, this is what Jesus looks like. They're pointing to say, this is what we look like. They're not getting you to believe these things and kowtow to these things and bow to these things and preach these things and post these things so that you would look more like Jesus, live more like Jesus, experience more of Jesus. And so you would look more like them, sound more like them, experience more of them, and the world would then be transformed by them. We're interested in living no lies, right? We're here to tear down all lies, right? Like if we actually believed we reap what we sow, we wouldn't even go to Walmart without making sure we were going in the name of Jesus. We wouldn't, we wouldn't enter into a relationship unless we knew we were entering in with the name of Jesus. We, we wouldn't get married 
We wouldn't have kids. We wouldn't pursue a career. We would not post on social media. We wouldn't pray. We wouldn't do a single thing. If we truly believe that he is the truth, the only truth, and nothing but the truth, so is he God, we wouldn't do a single thing on this earth without knowing and making sure beyond a shadow of a doubt it's what Jesus would be doing. Worship team, you can make your way up here. Check this out. Check this out. Paul, but everybody else stay where you are. We don't need anybody else to, no need anybody else to move or go anywhere for prayer or anything. Just stay where you're at. You see, Paul is amazing. Now listening. Paul, it's my wife. It's fine. I can point that out. Paul in this moment, he says, have nothing to do with people who say Christ alone is not enough. He goes, in fact, my interest in the world has been crucified. Paul takes it so severe, so far, again, preaching to Christians who are coming up in the same jabroniism that we're all raising up in right now, that we're all alive for, all of the sex, political, all the mumbo-jumbo that's going on right now, all of the lies, all the fallacies, all the things that will profit man nothing but pain and consequences, okay? They are being raised up in the same things. They just had sandals, okay? And Paul says to them, my interest in the world I don't care so much about people who say you got to be circumcised, all these other things. It is Christ alone, the cornerstone. That's what we believe as Christians. And he says this, so much so that I have crucified my interest in the world. I don't know how much, you've, uh, you, how much research you've done into crucifixion, okay? But this instrument of death, this tool of destruction, it is the most excruciating, painful death one could ever experience here on earth. In fact, so much so, I could back that up historically. The word excruciating didn't even exist until the crucifixion of Jesus. Did you know that? That's actually where we got that word. The word excruciating, unfathomable, inexplicable, unexplainable pain where you are strung up on a cross, nailed your hands in there, beaten in such a way. It's designed that you would either die moment by moment of organ failure, where your body just on the inside begins to collapse on itself. You die of exhaustion, or you die of asphyxiation. Those are the three ways that you will die in a crucifix. And Paul says, I have crucified my interests in the world. I want to sow in the Spirit and reap in the Spirit in such a way that I have taken hold of, I have subdued, I have arrested, I have apprehended all of my interests in the world. Anything the devil and hell could offer me, anything that social media presents to me on my Explore page, every pornography site, all of these things, I have taken it and I have crucified myself from it. See, the lie that we believe is, well, yeah, Paul, you had an experience with Jesus that, that knocked you off your donkey. You had a very real moment with Jesus where you came to the Lord and it radically changed you, Paul. And Paul's response to that would be, don't be misled. Don't be misled. Because this is your getting knocked off your horse moment. Because the lies that we believe are just like the scales that were on Paul's eyes. We have lived with blinders on. We have stumbled around trying to find salvation while walking blind, while being misled. And Paul is saying all of these things, because I've been there. I've, 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 I've not always been a pastor my entire walk with Jesus. And I've had the moment sitting where you are going, you know what, pastor, that's easy for you. You're paid to be holy. 
I make $100 a week, yo. What are you talking about? I'm paid to be holy. I got gas money. All right. I'm paid to be holy. I can tell you there is no dollar amount that if I wasn't crucifying my flesh daily, there's not a dollar amount that if I wanted to, if I decided to start sowing seeds of an old life, wild oats, if you will, if I wasn't subduing, taking hold of, crucifying on the flesh, and this isn't about how great I am, and not at all, this is about what we need to do as Christians, understand me, no one is paid any amount of money to remain holy and faithful in their marriage. If you wanted to, you would. And I think 2020 proved that. If you follow anybody on social platforms. You see, friends, it's easy for you, Paul. It's easy for you, Pastor Matt. No, it's not. But Paul says, this is exactly what you were to do. This is a process. And we hate processes because Paul says this. He says, don't grow weary in doing good. Friends, can I just be honest this morning? It is really tiring being purposeful. It is really exhausting living intentionally. It is really annoying having to live open and honest. I got to tell Scott what I'm doing. I got to tell Adrienne what I'm doing. I just want to go do stuff. Even if it's innocent stuff, I just want to go do it. But I'm called to live intentionally and purposely and openly. And then I'm also tasked with not growing weary. What? Don't grow weary in doing what is good. Friends, you know why you begin to do weird, go, go grow weary? Your expectations will determine how you sow. And your expectations will determine what you sow. Expectation determines how you sow, and expectation determines what you sow. Do you believe Ephesians 3.20? God is able to do exceedingly above all we can ask, dream, or imagine. Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, there is no amount of exhaustion that you would go and run towards and submit yourself to if you knew God was able to do bigger than the prayers I'm praying. God is able to fulfill more than what I'm trying to live. God is able to do exceedingly above Matt's best wishes and attempts. Or, when rubber meets the road and you're on the sanctification process and your world and your interest in it are hanging up on the cross and you are watching it asphyxiate choke on its own blood, your old dreams, your old desires, your old motivations, your old wants, your old sex partners, your old everything, your old self is up there. There are things about your old self that you loved, that you valued, that you saw purpose in, that you thought your dysfunction was a destiny. You were looking at that thing and you were saying, I love him! I love that man. And you will grow weary when you keep trying to pull down parts of that man, parts of that woman. You will grow weary when you are trying to sow seeds of the old man instead of sowing seeds of the new man. You see, friends, if there are two crosses that are contending for our desires, if there are two crosses contending for our motivations, if there are two crosses contending for our souls, It's going to be the one that we are supposed to be crucifying daily, allowing organ failure to take place in. It's called a sanctification process. This is just the most nitty-gritty way to describe it. And we will live the life between two contention crucifications, two crucifix, one with Jesus on it, one with Jesus on it, and one with us on it. 
and we will grow tired the more time we spend over here trying to live for this one but while pulling things down off this one that is when we will get exhausted and when we get exhausted we start pulling down old fruit old seeds old ideas old numbers old people and we start hitting up people at 3 a.m. seeing what they're doing and we're doing this trying to live in the shadow of being a new people while pulling down old fruit and old seeds and replanting them. And then we will have the goal to blame God for the harvest that we're reaping. If you just stand to your feet. I really love this. Paul says, it doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised or not. What counts is whether you have been transformed into a new creation or not. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. Friends, you will actually withhold peace and mercy from your lives when you don't crucify your flesh. When you sow in the flesh, you will withhold grace and peace but those that have sown in the spirit will reap in the spirit so much so that God's grace and God's peace and his mercy and his kindness it follows you all the days of our lives you see Paul says Grace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people. They are the new people. Paul goes so far to say, don't even trouble me. Don't even trouble me with my old ways, with my old self, with the old world. He says, I have crucified my flesh so much so that the world's interest has actually died in me. In me, it's not even vying for my attention anymore because I've crucified myself to it so much that it knows it can't ever have me back. It can try and kill me, but it cannot turn me. And then Paul says this one last lie with every head bowed and eye closed in this place. Paul says this. says I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus so often we will look at the scars on our bodies from following Jesus and we will think that they are a reminder of what we've gone without they're a reminder of who we go with we will believe the lie that they are a reminder of what we have given up and no friends they are a reminder of what he has given up friends you and I as Jesus followers, we need to retrain ourselves, rethink ourselves, resubmit ourselves, look down at our hands, at our feet, at the scars that we have, the hurts that we have from following Jesus. And we need to see them as Paul sees them. This isn't a reminder of what I've gone without or how I've been hurt or what I've missed out on. This is a reminder of everything I will inherit, everything God has already done for me. In fact, if he never did another thing again, these scars that I carry from following Jesus are proof enough that Jesus Christ is enough. Friends, we're going to sing a song called Tremble. worship team begins to sing make this your prayer if you're serving right now if you're taking photos or doing stuff in the booth don't even worry about it enter in enter in lean into the song lean into these words Jesus you make the darkness tremble why is that so important because your darkness is hanging up on a cross there's one cross that brings peace and mercy beyond all understanding and there is another one that must die in order for you to have it and right now worship team begins to sing Jesus you make the darkness tremble come on 
storm surrounding me. Come on. Let it break. Make these words your own. Come on. Come on. Come on. All the things you're going without right now to follow Jesus, he brings it all to peace. All the hurts that you've had to follow Jesus, he's bringing it all to peace. Right now, mercy and grace is upon you. Sing it. Lift your hands. Bow to it. Come up to the altar for it. Make this your declaration this morning. Remind your soul. You silence fear. Silence fear. Come on, church. Jesus. You make the darkness tremble. Jesus. Jesus. It's scary watching your old self die. It's scary watching your old man die. It's scary. But he brings it all to, to peace and he calls the rest of everybody to, to live in the mighty name of Jesus. Begin to make this your own church. I Come on. Praise Jesus, Jesus. You make the darkness tremble.